Welcome to Cybersecurity Growth, a show for aspiring and existing cybersecurity leaders. I'm your host, Sean Valley, Executive Director and CISO of Cybersecurity Growth, former Chief Security Officer of Rapid7, and former CISO of Tricentis. I'm also a musician here on Twitch and elsewhere under the name Music by SV, but more on that later. Welcome to episode number three, So You Want to Be a CISO. Well, it's good to have you in here today. Good to be back. Good to be back at the desk on this Friday morning. I am uh, all moved back into home after a big renovation that uh, we had done that took months, months. Good to be moved back in. Things are getting back to normal be able to be at the desk here again um, of course the renovations all done we're getting back to normal and part of the renovation we had an addition put on we had an addition to our basement and now the basement addition is now flooding which means I got the shop vac out vacuuming up water I got the towels out I got the fans out I got the dehumidifier out Knowing we can't really fix the problem until the snow melts and the rain stops, but it is what it is. I know things could be a lot worse, but still. Well, it's good to be here on this Friday with you all for episode number three, So You Want to Be a CISO. And as we are about to get into the show, just a heads up on how we run things here at Cybersecurity Growth. We basically have three segments once a week. First segment is top news stories where I found some interesting news stories that I think will be interesting to our audience. And I'll read through those news stories and comment on them. Followed by a section known as Death by Slides, which I used to call Death by PowerPoint, but I'm using Google Slides nowadays, so change the name to Death by Slides, where I will walk through a presentation that I put together that I have used for some reason, somewhere, somehow. Today's topic is, of the show is, So You Want to Be a CISO. I'm actually going to walk through a security uh, org strategy from my perspective, and uh, I'll go through the details of why I did this, and, uh, and hope you find it interesting. The third section of the show is what I like to call What You're Listening To. Uh, I can never go a full conversation without talking about music, as I am a big music nerd and uh, love to get into it. So I'll spend a couple minutes talking about what I'm listening to these days and this week. And if you are here in chat, I would love to hear what you are listening to as well. And then we'll wrap things up. And keep in mind, this is welcomed to be an interactive show as we do this live on Twitch. And then we move it over to the YouTube feeds and the podcast feeds. But if you are here and you want to join versus just watch, you're welcome to participate, throwing comments, questions into chat. And uh, I will take breaks from time to time to address some of those comments and questions into the chat. So that's the plan, my friends. Welcome. And let's get into it. As always, before I start, I always have my warm cup of coffee to keep us going. Today, representing the Boston Advanced Cybersecurity Center on the mug. 
That is toasty. All right, we're getting into it. First off, top news stories of the week. Uh, as I've decided, I won't say they are the top news stories of the week. This first one comes in to us from Tech Target, of all places. From Tech Target, uh, Ariel Waldman, uh, this was just published on January 23rd. The uh, article is titled, Experts Applaud Expansion of Apple's E2E Encryption, or End-to-End Encryption. And pieces of the article that I thought were interesting here. Amidst growing privacy concerns and data breach threats, Apple launched advanced data protection for U.S. customers last month to secure almost all data stored in iCloud. Cool. All right. Uh, In December, Apple launched three new data security and authentication tools, including iMessage contact key verification, security keys for Apple ID, which I think of that as um, your YubiKeys. I have one around here somewhere. Uh, It's not in front of me. Uh, I think it's on my other desk. And most notably, advanced data protection. The new offering expands Apple's end-to-end encryption. uh, End-to-end encryption. E-to-e-e. End-to-end encryption protection to the cloud, including device and messages backup. The iCloud drive, notes, photos, voice memos, wallet items, and more. Cool. With Apple's encryption expansion, uh, access to most cloud data will now be limited to users. Data recovery can only be achieved through passwords and recovery methods, and not even Apple can decrypt it. More significantly, the data will remain secure even if the cloud is breached, according to Apple. So... uh, the, part of this is, is what I'm about to say is in the article, but just my own take here. Right? Think about LastPass in the news uh, over the last few months. They were breached. All user vaults or all user data was lost. Uh, the encrypted stuff should stay safe even when it was stolen uh, due to a good good encryption techniques. So it should stay safe, right? We're saying you know if uh, if they encrypted things properly, the encrypted pieces should stay safe, but LastPass admitted that fields like the URL was not encrypted uh, and was not considered a secure field. And I and many others disagree with LastPass uh, in that field. Um, the URL very often doesn't just contain something like www.globe.com or www.facebook.com. Usually, when LastPass stores a a password, the URL likely contains in that URL some type of session cookie information um, that if that URL was gained, an attacker might be able to bypass passwords and multi-factor authentication to get into the site. So, okay, back to Apple. Um, So this new E2E capability from Apple is being rolled out worldwide um, to, to all users worldwide in early this year. 2023. Um, So Apple's already been doing this. They've been doing end-to-end encryption. So you might be saying, wait a second, I thought Apple already did this. They do already do this. What they're doing is they're they're adding more capabilities to their end-to-end encryption. So they used to have 14 different categories. I got to dig a little deeper on what they mean by categories. 14 different categories in their end-to-end encryption. uh, And now that is moving up to 23. So it's Apple saying, hey, we don't want to be able to see your data. We don't want uh, a a law enforcement agent to come in and give us a court order to say we can see your data. We are going to continue to just encrypt more of your stuff 
in iCloud, on your Mac, on your iPhones, on your iPads, um, in your keychain, lots of different areas. So good for those of us who just want our stuff secured and don't want anyone else to know about it. Um, good on Apple. Nice job. Moving on to the second article. This comes from CSO Online from Cindy Brumfield over at CSO Online. This just came out yesterday, January 26th. The uh, article is titled, Recent Legal Developments Bode Well for Security Researchers, But Challenges Remain. I actually thought this is really interesting. As I'll, I'll read the article in just a moment or pieces of the article. Um, security researchers have been having... Um, challenges over the, over the last several years of you know those who are doing good security research find themselves in a whole lot of legal problems um, a couple of reasons where i thought this was really interesting for those of us in the security leader spaces we're trying to determine hey can we have our people go do some research um, will they get in trouble um, will i get in trouble for allowing them to do that so anyways let's get into a little bit of what cynthia um, read here or wrote what cynthia wrote here uh, security researchers gained greater federal legal protections over the last two years, but U.S. state laws and China's recently adopted vulnerability disclosure law pose threats. Harley Geiger, an attorney with Venable LP, who serves as a counsel in the Privacy and Data Security Group, says uh, he was speaking at ShmooCon just recently, ShmooCon 2023. I believe that was, wasn't it uh, this weekend? I think it was this past weekend. Um, Geiger pointed out three changes in hacker law in 2021 and 2022 that minimize security researcher risks. So there's a lot of reasons why I'm excited about this article. First of all, Harley and I used to work together at Rapid7, and uh, I trust in Harley. That's, a, that's the easiest way to put it. I trust in Harley. Uh, he's a lawyer looking out for security policy um, and those of us in the security space. So here's what Harley said over at ShmooCon a couple days ago. Uh, over the past couple of years, these developments have changed the sources of greatest legal risk for good faith security research, he said. Specifically in the U.S., the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, or the CFAA, the most controversial law affecting hackers, uh, the Department of Justice's charging policy under the CFAA, and the Digital Millennium Copyright Act have evolved in favor of hackers, However, laws at the U.S. state level affecting hackers and China's recently adopted vulnerability disclosure law pose threats to security researchers and counterbalance some of these positive changes. The Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, or CFAA, it was, uh, it was created in 1986. Um, it was the first U.S. federal law to address hacking. Right, the, CF, uh, the CFAA... Um, uh, this is what Harley said at ShmooCon. The CFAA has been the boogeyman for the community for quite a long time. It's maybe the most famous anti-hacking law. This is a criminal law and a civil law. And that's important to remember. You can be prosecuted under the CFAA criminally. And you can also be threatened with private lawsuits. So it, it's, a, it's a real deal, as Harley was saying. Um, CFAA prohibits several things, including accessing... Uh, a computer without authorization and exceeding authorized access to a computer. What you may or may not have known is what's happened in 2021 to change the CFAA and in 2022 as well. So in June of 2021, the U.S. Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court altered its previous stance on the CFAA 
in the Van Buren versus the U.S. decision, the court said if you are authorized to use a computer for one purpose and you use it for another, even though it is an unauthorized purpose, that may be a violation of your contract, but it is not a federal hacking crime. That's what um, Harley was, uh, said at the uh, conference. And then he continued, but you still have to have some authorization to use the computer in the first place in terms of the service can still possibly dictate whether or not you have authorization. Uh, in 2022, the CFAA rules got better for researchers and or hackers. Uh, and it states, uh, from Harley, Harley mentioned this, uh, it's explicit protection for good faith security research search under the nation's foremost prosecutor. Um, so good news here for security researchers um, the CFAA, which has stood still mostly for 35-plus uh, years, 37 or so years, um, had some updates in 2021 because it started to be heavily enforced in the last many years. Um, had some updates two years ago, had some updates last year. Uh, and that's just good news for, our, for those who are in the good faith uh, space, the white hat folks who are you know, trying to find problems with software um, by breaking into it themselves. And they're not trying to get themselves in trouble. They're not trying to steal things. They're trying to help the world out um, you know, for the greater good. So um, good on the changes to the CFAA. Thanks to Harley for going to ShmooCon, talking about the laws here and how things have changed and good for security researchers uh, to kind of reduce some of that fear. And uh, those are the news topics I brought today. I'm going to uh, take a break, have a quick sip of my coffee here, and then we will get into Death by Slides. It's not as hot as it was, but it's just right. It's the right temperature. you're wondering who am I wearing today uh, today I'm wearing Veracode uh, it's a t-shirt that says I heart binaries on the front and it has a Veracode logo on the back I think I got I was at Veracode as an employee from 2013 14 I, uh, I believe those are the dates 13 14 I think and um, I think I got the shirt before I was there I think I got this at like Black Hat 2013 I think so I've had the shirt for a while the iHeart binaries. Okay, folks, it's time to get into Death by Slides. I'm going to share a screen in just a moment. Uh, so our topic today is going to be called So You Want to Be a CISO. And this is Sean's CISO or CSO strategy walkthrough. It's not a pretty deck. It's my working slides based on six or seven years of my learning. When, um, when an e-com company, e-commerce company that I was working for as a security operations director got acquired uh, by a large CRM company, I was assigned a new uh, security systems director role. So I took it upon myself to play mini CISO, learning from my three previous bosses in those roles. And I built a first 100 days of a CISO playbook. Then I implemented the playbook to see how it would work. 
after a while in that role, I got assigned a new role, and I was now responsible for security of cloud identities across two very well-known cloud providers. Uh, I made some minor changes to my playbook, and then I implemented it again. Uh, at that point, I realized I want to take on a CISO role. Uh, so I found a job doing just that. And well, I, I uh, iterated on my playbook again and again. <laughs> and I likely will do it again. So this is my personal playbook. I do share pieces of it with, with people and with teams who are curious. And now you get to see it. So if you're a manager, a director, a VP, or CISO, or even in IT or another department getting into a manager or a leader roles, um, quite of this, uh, quite a bit of this is not specific to security and not necessarily specific to only a CISO role. It can be applied to many other boss type positions, leader type positions. So just, you might be able to take note even if you are not in the CISO path today or at the exact moment. So we are going to get into our death by slides right now. So uh, here's, yeah, uh, here, this slide deck was last updated according to my notes here uh, on October 24th, 2022. So I'm going to flip through the slides. In this case here, I don't have a whole separate script like I had on other presentations because this is truly my, uh, it's, it's my notebook. Yes, it's in slides, but it's my notebook of, uh, of how I run a program. So here's the agenda of what we're going to get into today. Um, I'm going to go through my 100-day plan or my 30, 60, 90-day plan of uh, being a security leader or a CISO. Um, and then I'm going to go through these different subcategories um, these are things, these are kind of like the deep dives that are part of the 30, 60, 90 day plan. Um, understanding the existing security organization or the security program. So the steps I take to learn um, of the existing security program. Get to know my peers across the company. Get to know my partners within the company. Uh, build team, you can't see anything there. Uh, build team functions in uh, roles. So how do I build out my teams? How do I determine who does what? What are the different people's roles? Uh, ensure immediate security architecture and plan for year. Uh, so it's the idea of what do we need to do right now and what's the plan for the rest of the year? Um, application, product, platform security assessment. So an AppSec assessment, a product security assessment, a platform security assessment, the steps needed for that. How to support sales, and this is again from Sean's playbook. Most of the orgs that I have worked with are enterprise software companies or commercial software companies. So generally, the customers that I'm used to are business to business. I have worked in the public sector, yes. So that would be that might be a different scenario. Um, I have done some security work in the financial services and healthcare sector, but I do think when I'm talking about security sales and support enablement here. Um, I'm generally thinking business-to-business, -business, enterprise software companies um, selling from a business-to-business -business perspective. So again, Sean's notes. And then a security compliance assessment, um, kind of assessing your, your compliance area. So these are the areas we're going to cover in our time today in Death by Slides. So let us do this. So first off, my, uh, I almost named this show um, the first 100 days of a CISO, but 
I changed it to say you want to be a CISO. So this is basically my 100-day plan, or um, I initially drafted as a 30, 60, 90-day plan and then switched it to a 100-day plan. Just just is what it is. Um, so uh, let's get into it here. When I first created this plan, I looked online and said, uh, I need some resources here because um, I, I don't know how to create my... Um, my startup plan as a security leader. So if you remember this, I had been working for a CISO at an e-commerce company. And uh, I then, uh, we got acquired by a larger company and I was assigned a new role. And I decided to create a playbook, even though I was in a director role, security operations director role. I still wanted to play mini CISO and create a playbook. So I uh, did some Googling and I located the Gartner's roadmap of a CISO's first 100 days. And then one that I thought was amazing, which is New Harbor Securities, the first 101 days uh, as a new CISO, uh, a Chief Information Security Officer's Playbook. So I borrowed both of those to start my plan, um, and then I've just continued to iterate on that since, um, since I got into it. Uh, so that's where we're going to get things started. So there's pieces that are from both of these. You can even, if you look at that Gartner slide there, it's dated 2016, which is when I first started this. And like I said, I created this way back when I've been iterating on it ever since. Uh, but I did definitely roll this out long before I was a, a CISO. I was a director of uh, security role, director of information security, director of SecOps. So let's walk through, uh, the days and kind of how I plan this out. Uh, and I will make a note here, there's always an asterisk next to this, uh, even though I hear the things to do week by week and day by day, it's very likely it's not going to play out like this. So it's a plan. You know, life happens as we're making plans. Here's the plan that I work from. I get started. My first day in a new role. This is the stuff I do. Um, get my arms around the security program. Pretty simple. Just start digging through document directories. Start asking team members like, hey, who does what here? What are we working on? have some casual conversations and start taking some notes. That, that's really how I get st started there, just learning the security program, getting started. Um, I get to know my colleagues, like who's on my team, who works for me or who uh, works adjacent to me, who are on other teams that maybe they should work for me, uh, but they don't for, for whatever reason. Um, have my first department meeting within the first two weeks. I think that's important. Again, if you're a manager, if you're a director, if you're a uh, a CISO, um, have that department meeting pretty quickly, right? Within your first 10 days of being there, usually I would say within your first week, um, invite everybody to it and, and tell, you know, folks who you are, where you come from. And I have a whole nother slide deck that says, hi, I'm Sean. This is what I do. And here's, here's, here's my background. Here's the stuff I've worked on before, you know, kind of name dropping all the, the interesting things that I think are, are valuable. And then, you know, here's a little bit about me, my family, my personal life. Like I kind of, I basically dox myself to my to my new teams. Um, budget review and associated metrics. Good bullet to have here to remind you, hey, go find out who's your partner in finance to talk to. Um, if you don't know who your partner in finance is, well, if you are a CISO, you have a C in your title. Sure, it might be a small C depending on the company you're with, um, but you have a C in your title, so you shouldn't feel uncomfortable to go... Um, reach out to your chief financial officer who by C titles, you are pseudo peers, if not direct peers, find out, hey, who's my financial person uh, to talk to? 
That way you can go ask that person, hey, show me my budget. Um, someone must hold your budget. It's possible if you're a CISO, your boss may have your budget, whether your boss is your CIO, your CTO, your C, chief product officer, um, chief digital officer, whatever it may be. They may know where your budget is, but you can always go right to your finance partner. So learn your budget, kind of get a sense of, of metrics, um, starting with whoever's holding your budget right now, and just meet people. Um, I make it a point to meet everybody on my team, have a one-on-one with everybody on my team. Um, yes, my direct reports, but also my indirect reports and my indirect, indirect reports, depending on how big the team is. I, I'm going to meet everybody on the team um, for 20, 30 minutes, say hi, get to know them. Um, people who have just been friendly to me uh, as I walk in the door, schedule some time to meet with them and then start to get get a sense of who's who. So first couple weeks. Second couple weeks, uh, queue up a security assessment. So some would say like a risk assessment. Others would say like a cybersecurity maturity assessment. What I'm saying here is have someone conduct a security assessment that can look at your overall security program. Uh, and I'm going to go into this. I have a whole section about this. Go into your overall security program and find out where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are. I, I like to do a security maturity assessment uh, to find out which areas are more mature than others. Um, and you could conduct this yourself, but I would recommend, because you're going to have a really busy first 100 days, uh, to reach out to a third-party partner to do this instead. Um, so good use of learning your budget, finding out if you actually have budget to use, and jumping on it right away. Um, hold one-on-one -on -one meetings with all InfoSec team members. I kind of just said that in the previous column, so, you know, second couple weeks. Um, begin to understand what projects or initiatives will be active in six months' time. So as we started this deck, like I was saying, you know, start to get your arms around the security program. Um, but now starting to find out, now that you get your arms around the program, okay, what's underway now and what do people have planned for the back half of this year or uh, depending on where you are, could be the front half of next year. Um, so what's going to be, what's planned for the next six months? You, uh, again, I'm not making any changes. I just want to understand what projects, what initiatives are planned. Um, this will be very helpful down the road. Weeks five and six, this is all an estimate, but weeks five and six, prepare steering committee materials. So if you're pre preparing steering committee materials, I wonder, do you have a steering committee? Do you have an information uh, risk committee or do you have a security steering committee that's made up of some members of your information security team and some members of your either extended leadership team or your executive leadership team or your C-level C team. Uh, if you don't, you're, you're going to want to create one, right? You're gonna, this is an area for you to um, leverage your leadership across your other leadership and have a recurring meeting. Some of your compliance frameworks are going to require you have either an information risk council or a security steering committee. So you should start preparing materials. Um, we can talk about this later, uh, but you can also Google what should a security steering committee contain or what should an information risk council contain. Um, if you are an ISO, if you are doing ISO 27001 compliance, it will actually tell you specifically what it needs to contain. Um, 
Okay, next one. Uh, hold one-on-one meetings with business leaders. So in the weeks three and four, you had one-on-one meetings with everyone on your team. Now it's time to go meet business leaders. And my thought around this is if you are, uh, if you are in a director role, go meet all your director, your adjacent directors. If you're in a CISO VP role, make it a point to identify every VP that's at your company and schedule a meeting with them. That's what I do. I find every VP. So I was at a company where there were, I will say, unfortunately, 35 VPs. It's actually larger companies would have a whole lot more. There were 35 VPs and I scheduled one-on-ones with all 35 of those VPs. 30-minute meetings, get to know them. I actually made them 20-minute meetings. I said, we'll block off 30, but we'll make it 20. That way we're not running from meeting to meeting. Get to know them briefly um, as humans and what their role is at the company. Um, And we'll talk more about what to put in those meetings because I have a whole section on that in these slides. Um, And then the last bullet here, begin participation in security projects. I'm not going to go into every bullet here in detail because I actually have follow-on slides that we'll we'll get into these. Um, So begin participation in security projects. So if you already have teams doing security work, whether you actually inherited an existing security team or you're a security team of one and other people are doing security work over in like maybe the product development side or in the IT side, wherever security work is being done, go sit in on those project meetings. If you find out like, oh, we have a weekly stand-up, get in on that. Um, you know, we, we're, we have a project review that is something, something, security, something, something. Just get in that. Start joining the conversation. You're not going to lead it. You're just going to participate. Okay. Weeks seven and eight, we're now in days, we're now past day 30. If you've been here for a month, you've decided I'm going to stay <laughs> at least for a second month, or, or they've decided we're going to let you stay at least for a second month. Um, review the operational security budget. You're like, wait, didn't we already go over the security budget? Yep. You initially met your finance partner in the first month. You, you had a first pass of it, and then you just kind of moved on. You went and did other stuff. So now... Go back and review your budget now that you know a little bit more. Um, again, meeting with your finance partner who possibly saw how your budget worked a year ago and maybe two years ago. Go have that review with them. Have that discussion with them. Start building a relationship with your finance partners. It doesn't have to be, and it most likely will not be your CFO unless your company's small. Um, but uh, go find who your finance partner is and, and go meet with them. Establish a program vision. Draft out a vision statement, a mission statement. Um, your security program vision should, and I will say should, and then I will even like an asterisk say must, align with the company's vision, the vision of the CEO for the year. So go find out what the CEO is saying, like here's our vision for the company for the, you know, for the year and create a cybersecurity or information security program vision that aligns um, with your uh, with your CEO, you can start drafting. By the way, you know you create a vision statement. You know we want to be the most secure, blah blah blah. We want to be the most compliant, blah blah blah. Something along those lines, or maybe something else. We want we want to build trust with our customers by doing X, Y, and Z. You can then start to build out maybe your key objectives underneath that vision. I'm not going to go deep into this. We'll do that another day. But uh, your key objectives and your objectives they better line up with whoever's above you on the food chain. Um, Next bullet, take inventory of the security team skill sets and establish development plans. So this is you now saying, I've met with everyone on my team, got to know them a little bit. Now I'm trying to get a sense of how good are they at their job? 
Uh, are they in the right job? Should they be in a different job? Should they be, as one of my friends once said, promoted to customer, uh, a.k.a. scent packing, uh, because they're just not cutting it for one reason or another. But really, that's not the key focus. The key focus is I, I may have people on my team that I have uh, inherited uh, into my role. Um, what are they good at? What do they want to do? Get a sense of their skill. Get a sense of what they want to learn and grow and start building. Now, st now you can start to build uh, professional development goals for your team members. But you can also start to think about who's going to own what uh, at the end of this 100-day period. Begin the security assessment. A few weeks back, I said queue up a security assessment, which I meant go find somebody to do your security assessment. This week, begin the security assessment. If you weren't able to find any budget, um, I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> uh, you're going to conduct the assessment yourself. I'm going to show on a slide down the road um, how in ways you can conduct a security assessment. I might even do a whole show on that someday, but we'll we'll get into that down the road. But begin the security assessment. Hopefully, you're able to bring in a third party to do that for you. There's a lot of great small companies that do security maturity assessments. There's also midsize and very large, um, uh, you know, top four uh, companies that do that. So lots of companies do security assessments. It's not you won't have um, a difficulty finding that. Um, many of your security vendors even do security assessments. Uh, many of your, like your security product vendors do security assessments. Um, SIM vendors do. Uh, um, EDR vendors do as well on their services side. Okay, moving on. Halfway through uh, your second month, write or review the security charter. So we talked about the program vision. Now we're starting to draft the actual charter. Um, this charter will play into your security steering committee you're going to you know draft your charter like here's why we're here here's what we're doing the vision was what we see down the road the charter is why do we exist what are we going to work on start drafting or, or review the existing charter in many cases you'll inherit a charter because some compliance framework or or previous security leader already drafted one review it is it still applied to today and where the business is headed if so, great. Just make sure you, you wrap your brain around it. If you don't feel comfortable with that charter, rewrite it or write a fresh one. Now you get to appoint your team leaders. This is an exciting time, but a scary time too. You know, Say you have a 20-person team and you realize some of your leaders are no longer going to be leaders in certain areas and, uh, and it just is what it is. Make this point to appoint your team leaders. So maybe you're appointing your directors. Maybe you're just saying this person's a team lead. It's not actually a promotion, but they're now taking the lead role here. Get those appointments done. Share it with your team. Let it be known. Yes, there may be people very happy and there may be people very unhappy. It is a thing you need to do. It's part of being a manager, part of being a leader. Uh, be visible and establish security projects. So we said a while ago, uh, participate in projects. Now, um, Get into projects, be a voice, start being more of a voice, start having uh, opinions in security projects. So we're like, um, again, we're a month and a half in, and now we're starting to affect change, right? Appointing new team leaders, um, becoming more visual, uh, visible in projects. Towards the end of month two, review the budget for a second month. Go back to your finance partner again. Let's talk about the budget. I learned a little bit more. Start thinking about where you might want to make some changes, where you, um, if you have that budget, you know, where you might want to make some spend changes, where you may realize, uh, based on what you're learning, uh, maybe you do or you don't have the budget for what you want, what you're picturing will be the future. 
you, what you will then see moving forward is every month review your budget, but it's in here as a bullet. Uh, every month forever review your budget. Um, second bullet here, meet with security steering committee or board of directors. So if there is a security steering committee, have your first security steering committee meeting. That could be your information risk council or your security steering committee. Um, or board of directors. It's interesting. I, I think I grabbed this bullet from um, one of those uh, example templates I mentioned at the top of this slide deck, um, or board of directors. I feel like, I don't know, it's like an and slash or. Um, having a conversation around board of directors, I have looked at it this way. If you have had experience presenting at the executive leadership level, um, and you have had previous experience presenting to the board of directors or some training as to how to work with the board, uh, propose to your, C to your direct report or your direct manager, so whoever your direct manager is, this is if you are at a C level, if you're at a CISO or a CSO level, uh, propose to your boss or your CEO, hey, I think uh, I, I'd like to present what I'm, I, I want to schedule uh, a meeting with our board to let them know what I have found and learned kind of my initial assessment of the company. Um, it's not going to be your regular board meeting, but kind of like your first, you know, your first 90 days, so first 60 days. Um, you drafted your security charter a couple of weeks ago. Now you're bringing that charter to the security steering committee or the executive team, and you're saying, um, you all good with that? You know, anybody have an objection with m the charter you drafted? Get that verbal approval. Uh, maybe you need it be written depending on the kind of company you're in. Form a security awareness team. Uh, so this is not just security awareness training, but it's uh, it, you may have folks that are doing security awareness. You may not. So I made a bullet here to say, okay, now we need to form security awareness. Um, and that's going to take on all different types of um, shapes. But I think of a security awareness team as they don't always have don't always have to be the most technical people. I think the security awareness folks are almost like the marketing folks uh, of of our security org. It might end up just being you if your team's really small, but you may have people who have said, "Oh, I've used you know X training tool before," or "I've uh, you know I've had to draft you know monthly security announcements out to the company before," and um, you know I, I love doing that. And you're like, "Oh, great! You you sound like you're a person who loves to communicate." written, uh, you know, verbal and written, uh, you're going to be part of this team. So it could be people from all over um, the security org. Um, in my experience, sometimes um, my GRC team tend to fall into those roles, but it doesn't have to be the case. All right, what's the third month look like? We're, we passed two months here. What does the third month look like? So formalize your security program uh, strategy. We've been kind of drafting that as we go, building out our vision, building out our charter, and and again, you want to build out your key objectives um, that you want to focus on for the rest of this year. Those key objectives must line with your CEO's key objectives, um, and just start to formalize that that strategy and share it with your executive team so they have awareness. Share it with your internal team so they have awareness. Um, and then I mentioned your key objectives here as well. Okay, moving on to the the middle of our third month. Um, start monitoring the program delivery. Like, how are we delivering? Um, have you been committing for the past two years to roll out endpoint detection and response? And you've been saying for the past two years, it'll be done by the end of the month. And every month you keep saying, 
It'll be done by the end of the month. Like now's your time to say, you know, you've already been assessing this before, but that's what we're talking about here, monitoring the actual delivery. Are things being, are we committing and are we delivering? Are we delivering period? Are we delivering based on um, times that we've said? So again, this is a bullet that you may have addressed earlier, but it's in here. So you are checking to see where, where and when things are delivered because you may have to make some changes. Wrapping it up in my first 100 days, Continue monitoring the security program delivery. So we're starting to get into the rinse and repeat of a lot of things. Present at a company all-hands meeting. This bullet is on here. It is so important. Here's what happens to me, very common in the... Let me change the slides so you can see it here. Um, here's what happens to me in the third month. This whole set of bullets here kind of falls off the rails a little bit because business happens. A big partner event, big uh, you know sales kickoff, and you need to go be involved in that. Um, a nasty security incident comes in at 4 p.m. on a Friday and throws everything off. These things are going to happen. Um, so presenting at a um, company all hands is something you want to have on your schedule and you want to do. Even if you're an introvert and you're like, I am scared to death to present at a company all hands meeting. If you are in a CISO role, you need to. You need to be that face. You need to be the front of information security, of cybersecurity. Um and you need to go to uh, whoever's coordinating the all-hands meetings and get your name on the agenda. A, a little bit of, you can decide what you want to present. It could be something that is being worked on internally. It could be a little bit about the new program. Get yourself on the agenda. Build out something to talk about that you think everybody in the company would be interested in. And then the end is business continuity planning, disaster recovery planning, um, as we start to kind of mature our security program. Those are the first 100 days from a bullet's perspective. I'm going to get into a little bit more details in just a couple moments. That's how we got started. I'm going to be right back, folks. Uh, I'm going to take a two-minute break, and then we are going to continue on with our Death by Slides. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back.
right. So now we are picking up where we left off on our So You Want to Be a CISO episode, right? We're going through the initial days of being that security leader and running your security program. We're going to dive a little deeper in some of the uh, bulleted items that I just covered uh, as we were getting started here. And so one of the bullets we talked about, get uh, learning your security org and security program. Remember, these slides here are just my rough notes. So um, there's nothing fancy about them. These are the notes that I actually work from when I'm getting started in my security programs. So things I need to learn while I'm uh, getting familiar with the new company that I'm at and the new security program I'm at. Here's a, a list of bullets that I actually work from. Um, disciplines, right? Team overall role. I want to get a sense of what do I own? What are the areas that are important to the company that the company believes that in the role that I'm in, I own these things. Do I own endpoint security? Do I own application and product security? Do I own governance, risk, and compliance? Do I own physical security? Do I own... Uh, DevOps, does DevOps somehow fall into my area? Do I own cloud? Uh, do I own cloud security? Do I own privacy? Uh, like I need to know the disciplines. Like what is what is responsible for us overall? Do I own all of IT? Does that fall into my area? A lot of organizations are hiring, hiring a CISO who is now playing CISO slash CIO, but under the title of CISO. Um, so very important to know those. Areas of responsibilities slash roadmap. So what are the different areas that uh, that we are responsible for? And kind of what's the roadmap that these area responsibilities are heading towards? Who are our team members? What roles do they play? Um, get a sense of my team members and their roles. So, okay, here's, you know, this is in your one-on-one with your, each of your team members. Here's my name. Here's my title. And then say, well, what does that really mean to you? Right, so get a sense of what people's names are, what their titles are, and what they really do. Take notes on each of these people because you're want to, you're gonna want as a manager to have kind of like running notes of everyone that reports into you. You're gonna want to do this for everyone who's directly reporting to you. So often in my case, I'll be in a, at a VP level, and my direct rep reports may or may not be um, at the director level. They may be at the manager, senior manager level, and in some cases, they may just be individual contributors. Just depends on the org. Um, but say I have directors reporting to me or senior directors reporting to me and underneath them they have individual contributors or they have managers. Uh, I want to know everybody. I want to at least get a sense of who's who to get started. Um, email distros, Slack channels, or others. Uh, build that list you know, in a document here. I'd take these bullets and make a document right out of it. Um, build a list of all the email distros that your team is, uh, is using, is responsible for, as you're getting to know your team members, find out the hidden email distros. Same thing with Slack. What are the Slack channels that exist for your team? Um, find out what the you know the hidden ones that are out there as well. Um, you know the ones that are maybe just um, uh, used internally with the teams. You want to get a sense of what's out there. You want to get a sense of where comms are happening. I'm not saying you need to be in every single Slack channel, but just to know uh, know they exist. Uh, you may actually realize like your email distros. There may be a security all distro. And then there might be an all security distro, and then there might be an everyone security distro, and they may have different people in it. You may find out your email distros are an absolute mess. Get on it. First, you know, learn it. Same thing with Slack. Uh, you may find out that there's an application security Slack channel, and then there's a security operations Slack channel, and then there's a compliance and security Slack channel. For me, that drives me crazy. I want my Slack channels to all have a similar naming convention. 
you know, security underscore governance, security underscore product, security underscore ops. Again, that's just me. Um, I, I like format in my Slack channels, but at least find out where they are. I'll make some changes down the road. I'm not going to make changes right away. I'm just learning info here. Uh, projects. What was recently completed? Learn it. Learn what was recently completed, what projects are underway, and what is planned for the next three months. Again, in one of the earlier bullets, I talk about this, but what was done recently, what is underway, what is planned for the next three months. Get a list of all of those. Um, what are the daily operations? Um, I've learned this acronym and term years ago, and now I kind of use it everywhere. Run the business, RTB. What is being done to run the business? Um, run the business stuff is is sometimes kind of tough to measure. And so getting your arms around the RTB, the run the business stuff very early, um, will help you get a sense of, okay, I don't know, I'm not necessarily sure how I'm gonna quantify progress here because it's regular operations. We're just running the business here. What tools, every single tool, what tool is now in your um, either area of responsibility or adjacent area of responsibility? So. Get any AppSec tools out there, some SAS, DAST, SCA tools. Maybe they don't report to your team because they may be off in software engineering. Maybe they do. Um, what's your, you know, what vulnerability management tools, what endpoint security tools, what SIM do you have? Um, we can go down the whole list. Uh, you know, do you have any cloud security tools? Do you have any mobile device management tools? What are you using for identity management? Just get a list of the tools. Find out the tools. Find out the... Uh, Find the tools, find the licensing information, find the vendor that you bought the tool from. Are you using a uh, a um, a reseller? A um, yeah, are you using a reseller to purchase your tools? Are uh, you buying tools directly? Learn what you can. Services, managed service providers, augmentation. Same thing with tools. What what uh, services are you using? Are you using any managed service providers? Do you have like a an MDR vendor, managed detection and response vendor? Do you have someone? who's actually running your SIM for you? Um, are you using any type of external services that's not in-house? Are you doing any staff augmentation? Was there a virtual CISO before you got there and are they still there? That is very common. Um, we talked about budgets, you know, learn your budgets. What are your bills? Uh, how often do you need to pay bills? How do you pay bills? And get a sense of expenses. Are your employees, uh, are your employees submitting expenses on a monthly basis? Is there a stipend, a stipend for uh, home internet use for your employees for uh, for you know mobile phone um, monthly service? Is there a stipend that you know every year or two years people can buy a new phone and the company pays for it? Um, uh, is there no official stipend but people are doing this because some manager in the past approved it? Just get a sense of uh, you know what people are doing for expenses as you. Uh, get to know your people one-on-one. You can actually ask them that in your get to know people. Like, hey, what what are the things you are ex uh, expensing? You know, do you travel much for work? Um, do you you know do you have any expenses for home? So any things like that. Problem areas. Um, people, if you ask people, you know, hey, where's there where's there some culture issues here? Where are there some problems here? Some people are going to be open and honest and listen closely. Some might fear <laughs> you uh, and might fear sharing openly. So, you know, listen between the lines. And the BEE, business ending event, the thing that could sting you. I ask this question of everybody. I did not create this idea. I borrowed it from a great friend over at the product security group, Mark French over at the product security group. Um, what is the business ending event? I love to ask this to every single person in my first meeting with them. It's me basically saying, what do you think is the highest risk problem 
to this company and you could say to this company and our in our employees or to this company and our, our our customers what do you think could be the thing that could end the business and just listen to what people say see if you start to hear repeating common uh uh, answers to that question or are all or is everybody bringing something different to the table we you just we're gathering intel right now we're learning okay peers and partners so we you know the thing i just mentioned was getting to know your team and areas of your team now get to know your peers get to know your partners as well so same idea we were just talking about um go get your hands on the company org chart that's what i do so if you are you know, if you have an HR, whatever your HRIS is, go grab your company org chart from that or, you know, the PowerPoint that has the company org chart. Find the company org chart. Meet with every executive that reports to the CEO. Meet with the CEO. Actually, meet with the CEO. Meet with every executive that reports to the CEO. CEO. Um, have have They're all busy, by the way. So it's going to be tough to get on their calendar. You, you likely will have to go to their um, administrative, uh, their, their executive admin um, to get on their calendar, but just reach out to them directly and they'll let you know how it works. Um, they may have an EA and you may not. That is very common. Uh, but reach out to them. They are your peers. Some of them are your bosses too. Um, and get on their calendar for a, a, you know, nice to know you and you can have some of these conversations with them. Um, if you are a CISO, you are likely either, you are most likely at a VP level if you're a CISO. It's possible you'd be a director, senior director. It's also possible you could be an SVP or an EVP um, at the CISO level. But most commonly, it's a VP level. Um, I would say meet every peer in your in the company at, at your level. It doesn't matter what their role is. Meet them. Get to know them. You're not going to have a regular one-on-one with all of them. You may find some that you're going to want to have a regular one-on-one with. You're going to find some that might be, you know, challenging to work with, and you kind of get that sense from that first meeting. You're going to find some who you're going to love to work with, who maybe you didn't, you didn't realize it. Um, meet all your VPs, and take a note on what is their area of responsibility. Um, again, identify your direct peers. Who are your direct peers? It's very possible they are just at your level in the company. Um, you can kind of build a, a chart of who your direct peers are in, in the case of like who are the who are the people you're going to be working with on a regular basis. And everybody you meet, ask them the question of what do you believe is the biggest risk to the company or the BEE, the business ending event, and just listen to what people have to say. All right, build a team. Um, I don't know what the team's going to look like. Maybe the team will eventually look something like this. Maybe, maybe. I'm not saying your team looks like this, and I'm not saying it ever will look like this. This is a uh, an example that I put together several years ago. It's uh, it's even slightly outdated. I look at this, I'm like, wait, am I missing? Yeah, I'm missing some things that I probably would add to uh, this deck if I were to update it. So maybe this is what your team could look like. Um, but to find out, what does your team look like right now? Build out the org chart today of your team. And then you can take this slide here as an example of, Maybe this is where we want to head. Maybe this isn't where we want to head. But, you know, here's five core um, uh, domains and then areas of responsibility that could be under those. Right. I'm not naming by people or by uh, I'm not naming by person or by actual role, but more capabilities, because the idea of this type of org chart here is um, how are we meeting these different core responsibilities here. So I like this type of chart. You can take this kind of chart and modify it, but there's no person, right, in this chart. It's capabilities. And so I like going through this and say, um, are we doing network security down on the bottom left here? Are we doing NetSec? 
can I check that off and say someone's doing NetSec? And then maybe I can make some notes of like, oh, I know who's doing NetSec and they don't report to me. They're actually over in IT. But I can start to build out ideas. So I like this type of chart here. Uh, security architecture. I mentioned this in the early slides there. Um, these are going to be some basics of security architecture. And I don't mean this like product security. I just mean kind of architecting your overall security capabilities. We're starting to get a little technical here. Um, I look at these as the, you see on the slide here, the necessary basics, uh, no matter what, no matter what kind of company you're at, the necessary basics, no matter what. Um, I did mention in my earlier slides that you want to queue up a security maturity assessment, and I suggest you bring a third party in to do that instead of doing it yourself. Don't wait for those assessment results. Um, go through this list and uh, do this ass assessment yourself. Your security maturity assessment should give you some of this information, uh, but it may not. Um, here are the ways that I look at things that are kind of critical to just run my business and get my arms around it. And, and some of these ideas I got right from the Center of Internet Security, Critical Security Controls. Um, and I, think, I do think of things as, from a top-down perspective. I actually look at these as an order of priority. Um, identify all your assets. All right, identify all your assets. Um, this will never end. I, I feel like you'll never end. I feel like six months from now, 12 months from now, 18 months from now, you'll find more assets that uh, you didn't know, but start to identify all my workstations, all my end-user workstations, all my servers. <clears throat> um, all uh, Learn how many AWS accounts we have and what they are. Kind of get that list of all the AWS accounts. Um, do you have an AWS admin that can go and pull those for you? Um, are you using Azure? How many Azure tenants do you have? Uh, Azure subscriptions? Get a list of all your Azure tenants, Azure subscriptions. Get a list of all your GCP accounts. Like, Get a sense of all of your assets, physical and virtual is kind of what I'm saying here. Just start to get that list because that's going to build down on the things we, we do down below. Uh, learn a little bit about your perimeter. Um, what's being used as, as, as a firewall for the corporate environment uh, or firewalls in the cloud environment? You know, start with uh, start focusing on the on firewall. Um, find out what's being used for firewalls. Who's managing the firewalls? Get a list of uh, you know ports that are allowed, uh, IP addresses that are whitelisted. Start questioning any IPs that have been allow listed on firewalls. Start questioning any um, allowed uh, external access that's not 443 or HTTPS. Start to just. You know, you don't have to, the nice thing about this is you don't have to be the, a firewall expert. Just start asking questions like, "Hey, let me let me see a list of firewalls. Let me see the IP addresses that have been allowed listed. Let me see the ports that are allowed, and just start questioning anything that's not 443. Any IPs that are allowed listed, question them. Any port that's allowed, question them. Um, learn. MFA all the things. MFA for all accounts. Um, this is tough. Uh, it, this is something you'll see in all of your compliance reports. Say, do you have multi-factor authentication for all accounts, for all this or for all that? Uh, you, you, you want MFA everywhere. We all know that you want MFA everywhere. Like this was probably a discussion we were having in 2014, 2015. Now it's just like, of course you want MFA everywhere. But you probably don't have MFA everywhere. Start with the corporate you know, um, identity and access management space. You know, your, your corporate active directory, your corporate Okta or whatever you're using. Start there. Do you have MFA for everything on that environment? If you don't, why not? Uh, you know, is it is there is it kind of like a break glass domain admin account that doesn't have IAM on it? Make a note of it. Um, are there is there kind of a rule that domain admins don't have MFA because of blah blah blah? You know, for some reason, uh, 
service accounts don't have MFA, very common, for some reason. Learn, learn, learn where you don't have MFA and make a note of everything that doesn't have MFA on it. Really, the idea is MFA for all accounts except where you approve an exception. You want MFA everywhere. Um, identify critical systems that are not in the corporate um, single sign-on environment <clears throat> and get them over there. So, you know, is your company using like a Salesforce for a CRM or Workday for HR? Are those rolled into your single sign-on environment? No. If not, do they have the MFA capability turned on? No. Yes. Um, uh, you know, are you using some type of financial services application, uh, sales application? Are they... Are they managed under corporate identity and with MFA enabled? Yes or no? Like, start to learn every account. Don't just don't just stop at the Okta and the uh, Active Directory and say, "Yep, we have MFA everywhere." Go go check every account that's not tied into those to check where there's MFA. What about developer accounts, test accounts? Are they not behind MFA because folks say, "Well, they're not production data; they don't need to be behind MFA." They need they need to be behind MFA. Get them there behind MFA. Build a list um, to migrate um, any application that's using local MFA. So, you know, think about like, I'm going to use Salesforce as an example, Workday as an example. They both have MFA and you can locally enable MFA. Um, but I'm going to recommend that you have not only MFA enabled, but single sign-on. So get those rolled into like your, your Azure AD SSO or your Okta uh, SSO. And then once you get things over to your uh, SSO, you're, you're just making a note of this right now. Um, but once you get those things over to your SSO, you need to turn off the local MFA. Otherwise, your Salesforce users can log in either through SSO or through the MFA built into uh, Salesforce. So um, you gotta you gotta disable the local authentication. MFA everywhere, uh, SSO, uh, anything you can. I'm moving on. Vulnerability assessments and patching. Um, you can't do vuln management without knowing your assets. So the bullet that we had up above, identify all assets, is really important to get done before you get into vuln assessment and patching. And keep in mind, if you don't know all of your assets, you'll never be able to tell anybody you know, what the real risk is to the business from a vulnerability perspective. From a, You won't really be able to talk about risk without knowing the assets that you um, are keeping an eye on. So vuln assessment and patching, Basically, what I'm talking about here is I'm assuming you have some type of vulnerability assessment or vulnerability management capability or tool. Um, start ensuring that you have a service level uh, agreement, an SLA or an SLO, um, and focus on getting all of your critical vulnerabilities addressed within a short period of time. For example, within one week with a service level objective of three days. Uh, we need to get those critical vulnerabilities for anything internet-facing very quickly before bad guys do bad things. Um, and uh, <clears throat> that should you know, focus on corporate environments, product environments, production pr product environments, start getting vuln patching and assessing underway. So just kind of a bullet here, necessary basics. Uh, endpoint security on all endpoints. Again, identify your assets. If you don't know your assets, you don't know where all your endpoint security is, and you won't be able to say we've got some type of um, EDR solution, keeping an eye on every single asset. You want it on all endpoints. You know, your user workstations, of course. Your servers, heck yes. But also your cloud environments. Can you put your endpoint security capabilities on your cloud environments? I want it on all endpoints. So um, 
from a I'm going to make a note on this, utilize an MDR service. I'm going to save this for a second until I get down to SIM because this could actually go for endpoint um, detection and response. Remember, endpoint security nowadays is not just an AV tool, but it's also detection and response. Um, do you have an IDS and IPS in place, intrusion detection, intrusion prevention system? If so, where? What's it looking at? Is it really, it, what, what is it providing? Let me fix my slides so you can see better. What's it providing here? Um, where's your SIM? Do you have a SIM in place? Uh, get a SIM in place. Um, what's it? What logs are being brought into the SIM? What alerts are being put in? Okay, back to the endpoint security on all endpoints bullet here, which says utilize uh, managed detection response service until at least 3,000 employees. Then you can consider an internal SOC or DNR team. I'm actually kind of a believer that not only your SIM, but your EDR capabilities um, should be monitored by your same team, kind of your SOC team, as you're monitoring for security events. And your EDR tools are now, you know, highlighting security events pretty quickly. So your EDR tool can pump into your SIM, um, or you just have two different dashboards. That being said, depending on the size of your company or your team, like say you have a, you know, 600 person company, your, your company just might be too small for you to build that security operations center, you know, a, d a dedicated detection response team. Um, a friend of mine gave me this term of a sock sandwich, and I like the name of this term. I'm not sure if he created this, but my friend Mark over at uh, Product Security Group gave me the name of sock, sock sandwich a while ago, which is kind of the idea of like, what does your tier one sock team do, your tier two and your tier three? Your tier one is a team that's kind of like monitoring for the massive amount of alerts. Um, if your company's small, and the number that I put on here, less than 3,000 employees, don't hire someone to do that. Have, um, have an MDR vendor monitoring for your security events. And then if they, you know, they will be able to close out, you know, 70% of the noise and they'll be able to tune your alerts and get things, you know, working a little bit more um, efficiently. Your tier two team is the team that actually needs to get called in when something is an actual alarm that needs internal investigation. That's your tier two team. Have some employees do that, right? Have some have an employee or a small team of employees. They might be doing other things, but they can go investigate these alerts that your MDR partner brought in. And then your tier three is when you have a oh crap incident, like something really, really bad is going on. Not just, you know, somebody left a vulnerability open and a and a small piece of malware made its way onto a server, but the 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 uh, EDR tool, you know, stopped the malware. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about oh crap, we um we see signs pointing to lapses is in our network. Uh, what do we do? Then your tier three sock kicks in, and I would say your tier three sock should be a a um, detection and response partner. Um, Mandiant, CrowdStrike, uh, not CrowdStrike's uh, EDR tool, but CrowdStrike has a services component, um, much like Mandiant services. Like you want to have that the the bat line where you say, uh oh, we uh, we have signs of an incident. Um, I need you guys to come in now, right? Have someone on retainer to immediately come in. You may want to work with your legal team on if you want a retainer or have legal um, manage that. That's my note here in using an MDR service. If your company is under 3,000 people, my approach is um, I'm going to hire tier two people, but my tier one I'm going to outsource, and my tier three I'm going to outsource. There's the sock sandwich. Once my company gets larger than that, I'm going to start hiring internal folks. I know we spend a lot of time on these slides, and I probably won't go through every single 
ounce of every slide because we will then have the show go on forever and ever. But this is the slide deck that I use to kind of run my business. So utilize an external assessment. Um, I mentioned um, hiring someone to do a security maturity assessment. I'm not going to read everything on here. Um, I th yeah, I don't think I have, uh, I don't think I go any deeper than this, but basically what I would do is go find a firm that does uh, cybersecurity assessments and sometimes look for a security maturity assessment or cybersecurity maturity assessment or CSMA. Many of them will use um, either the NIST cybersecurity framework as a guide or they will use the CIS critical security controls as a guide um, or they will use ISO 27001 as a guide or maybe they'll have their own uh, framework that they've built up based off of the secure controls framework. Um, if you've not heard of secure controls framework, you can go back and look at my podcast number one and number two, uh, where I did a deep dive on the secure controls framework. Um, but I like to hire an external firm, an unbiased set of eyes to come in and conduct a security maturity assessment, which will then end in a fancy document, a fancy presentation, and usually a really ugly spreadsheet that shows where um, my company is mature and where my, my company is immature from a cybersecurity perspective. Um, I would highly recommend you bring an external team in. Um, there's, there's a ton of companies that do this, so it's easy to start searching. Um, you might be overwhelmed. Maybe you can just go talk to um, one of the vendors you work with and say, hey, do you guys do security maturity assessments? And you might be surprised. They say, oh, yeah, we have a whole team that does that. Moving on. Um, oh, and, and I guess the last thing on that is have them conduct the assessment and then you um, and part of your leadership team, maybe not all the way up to your CEO, but maybe um, you sit in the audience while they read out the assessment to you and then, you know, to you and part of your leadership team and then, you know, ask questions along the way. And then ultimately, you know, you'll be able to take that and build out what uh, a good roadmap for uh, the rest of your year. So I actually leverage security maturity assessments to build my um, the, the work that I'm going to focus on for the next 6 to 12 months. So um, it's also great to have someone else bring in um, a maturity assessment. You may see a maturity assessment and you may disagree with some of the results. That's also okay. Um, the assessors aren't perfect. They do not see the business as deep as you and your team does, but having that external set of eyes is huge. The application security, product security side, right? How do you secure your products, your platforms, your applications? Um, getting security into the software development lifecycle is going to be a key piece here. I'm not expecting you to be an AppSec expert. I'm not expecting you to be a software engineer who knows everything about security. Uh, I'm not expecting myself to be that either. Uh, but we need to get started, right? If there is software development being done in your organization, um, you're going to want to do a couple things. First, you're going to want to make sure there's some basic security coding principles. Over on the right of this slide, I have um, the common security coding principles just by title, input validation, output sanitization. You can see all the rest there. Um, maybe create a Confluence page and start laying this out. Unless one already exists, it's very possible you already have an AppSec capability in your company and you're inheriting it. Does it have any of this stuff in it? If not, you're starting from scratch. A great way to start is go out and grab the OWASP top 10 um, and start building your SDLC around the OWASP top 10. You can also look at the CIS critical security controls. You can look at the NIST cybersecurity framework, ISO 27001, which is huge for um, you know, European um, 
organizations. Um, from a secure code testing space, this is really where I think AppSec started, at least in my view. You know, is there a static application security testing tool like a Veracode? I'm wearing the Veracode t-shirt, so it made me think of their name. Um, is there a dynamic application security testing tool testing web applications in use? Um, is there secure composition analysis, so testing your open source uh, tooling capability? And do you have an SBOM? You know, do you have people doing application security code testing um, in the software development lifecycle? Um, you know, if if so, great. Review it. Get a sense of where things are at. If not, you can use all the notes here on this page to say, let me make an earmark of things I need to go focus on. Runtime protections. Is there um, real applications, uh, runtime application security protections in place? Is there a next-gen firewall, single sciences, something like that in place? Um, what are you doing for cloud, cloud workloads? Um, dig deep. Uh, is Kubernetes in place? I'm going to say it is. <laughs> it is somewhere. And um, who's looking at those containers? Who's looking at those Kubernetes uh, containers? Um, I bet nobody. Uh, there are tools out there that can help you get some visibility. Figure out how you get some visibility into your containers that are in development and your containers that are in production. Usually your endpoint security stuff um, can't and you need something else to get there. I just love having this slide because it starts allowing me to ask questions uh, to learn a little bit. Um, how are you helping the sales team or how is the sales team complaining to you or is it possible that your, uh, you found out that there was a huge turnover in your security org over the last year because your security team was just being asked to answer security questionnaire after security questionnaire after security questionnaire and nobody has figured out a way forward. Um, I feel like this is an area that I've spent so much time and have gotten stronger with over the years. Security sales and support enablement. How are you helping sales close deals quickly because they need you. They can't close deals because the customers are asking questions they don't have the answers to. And customer support, who is dealing with your annual renewals, um, are going to have the same questions because co uh, companies nowadays have to reassess their vendors on an annual basis, and they're going to ask lots of security, compliance, and privacy questions. Um, how can you? Are, how is sales and support being helped today? There's a lot that can be done. Uh, I have a wall of words here, but um, I, I wrote this with great intentions um, and a whole lot of painful experiences. So get to know your sales leadership. Get to know your support leadership. Just get to know them. Also get to know to realize that your chief revenue officer or your chief support officer, you're going to want to get to know them as peers, but you may want to find out who is you know in the weeds actually trying to deal with these challenges and you may have to work with those people in the weeds specifically or have someone from your team do this um, make find out is there a centralized database and that database could be an actual database or a tool uh, or it could be a confluence page or a, you know a, a, um, a sheet or a spreadsheet of common security questions and answers right is there a list of common questions and answers for customers who's maintaining that list um, if it doesn't exist then life is probably painful I like to use the term as sales SDK a sales development kit build out a security SDK is actually what this should say a security sales development kit and in this kit the goal is you're going to provide this to your salespeople to, to give to customers and then just say hey you can give this to any customer or potential customer on an uh, under an NDA Maybe you want to have a SIG or a SIG light or a C 
IAQ, C-A-I-Q, I always forget that acronym. These are common industry spreadsheets of common questions and answers. Um, is there a security white paper that you can provide that kind of gives an overview? If not, get someone writing that security white paper. If there's nobody to write that security white paper, you need to write that security white paper. Um, are there any security architectures that, you know, high level architecture documents that you can um, share with customers, right? Customers have lots of questions. You want to you want to be able to provide them common questions and common answers so you don't have to keep answering the questions over and over and over again. You may have some security policies you know, in your company, you have an information security policy, an acceptable use policy, um, a, a software, a secure software development lifecycle policy. Can you create a lightweight version of those policies that you can share with customers? Customers will actually ask, I want to see your security policies. And you may say, I don't want to show you my policies. Those are internal documents. So create a lightweight version of those security policies. Include that in your sales SDK. Do you have SOC 2 reports? Uh, get those into your SDK and then start to educate your sales people, your, your sales engineers, your solution architects, your support engineers. This is the doc these are the documentations that you can share. Here's a zip file, which is the SDK. You should get familiar with it and you can provide it to your customers. Um, and really what you should be, you know, sales folks, support folks, you can either put, you know, put on the, the, <laughs> the white glove approach by, uh, working directly with your customers because you know they may have the tough questions. You can copy and answer, uh, copy and paste the answers from our SIG document or our white papers, or you can provide to a customer and say, everything that we can answer for you is in here. Um, you should be able to find everything you need. These are the only answers we can provide. Again, perfect world scenario is that. Um, schedule a weekly escalation call with your security, I'm sorry, with your sales leaders, your support leaders, or those who are in the trenches, probably your directors, your VPs, um, to find out where they're having problems closing deals because of security and privacy questions. Um, keep that weekly escalation call going um, until you feel like there's no need for it. But you likely are walking into a mess. And if you schedule a weekly escalation call, you're going to build some good relationships there. You may start to um, help them identify how they can start to automate some things. Um, provide education sessions to the sales org. So create sessions that are security sales and support enablement sessions. Invite everybody in the sales org, everybody in the support org. You may have hundreds of people that you invite. Maybe hundreds of people will show up. Try to make it, try to get the leaders to make it mandatory. Um, educate them on the security SDK. Educate them on the questions and answers. Educate them on how you want them to respond to customers. Do you want all security requests uh, to be reviewed by you and your team? Uh, do you actually uh, approve that sales can answer um, on the company's behalf and you trust that they're going to provide them only the answers that matter? Um, over time, this may take a while, start getting to know the web team, your web development team, probably someone in marketing. Get to know them and start to build a subset of pages underneath your security page on your company's uh, security web page to create a self-service portal where um, uh, folks, customers, can actually s sign an online NDA and get access to that security sales SDK. Um, so it's even even less touch. Um, I've done this at, at a couple previous organizations and it's reduced the sales cycle and it's built great relationships with sales and support. If you don't come up with a plan with sales and support, 
security will be mentioned at every executive leadership meeting. So if there's a quarterly meeting held by your CEO um, where VPs get to speak and leaders get to speak, security will be mentioned as a boat anchor that's holding them down from closing deals and making life a whole lot more difficult. So you're going to likely need to get your arms around this process. So um, these are just my notes to say this. these are things I've done. Security compliance, I like how I write, spend money to make more money. <laughs> um, that is truly my thoughts around the world of compliance. Um, spend money to make more money. And so I'll put a few things in here. This is you getting to know your compliance programs. Um, what certificates, what attestations are currently underway at what level? Do you have a SOC 2 type 1? Do you have SOC 2 type 2? Do you have ISO? Do you have... We can continue to go on and on down the list. What certifications do you currently hold? What attestations do you currently hold? Why? Why do you hold them? Sometimes people will give you a why and be like, uh, I don't know. We've just been doing it for a bunch of years. And come to find out some customer many years ago under a contract required you to do an ISAE 3402. And you're like, I actually don't know who or why we did that for. And I don't know what the value is, but we just keep doing it every year. Learn. Um, um, are your certificates, are your attestations, um, helping you to increase revenue as a company? Are they actually helping you like bring more value? Is there a time to value n number you can work from? Um, what certs, what attestations is the company interested in and why, you know, someone saying we want to be FedRAMP level three compliant. Why? Probably because someone in the federal sales team is like, if we're FedRAMP, I think I can make a whole lot more money for the company. But come to find out for real, is there real money to be made there? Um, or is it just someone, you know, hoping for that case? Um, are there other certificates that people want? People want, you know, ISO 27001. Why? Why do you want ISO 27001? Why um, isn't our, our NIST cybersecurity framework assessment good enough? Find out why. Um, what products or part of the company is in scope for your compliance efforts? Um, is it the whole company? Uh, under ISO 27001 um, or is it just a small piece of it? Is it just some product that that is? Why? Why are certain things not in scope? What isn't in scope and why? Um, who's your internal auditor? Do you actually, does a company have an internal auditor? Get to know that person um, or is your company so small that they have not yet hired an internal auditor? Most likely if your company is not in the high, is not highly regulated, you may not have an internal audit team or internal auditor. Usually internal audit reports into the CFO in the finance department. Um, and if your company is not highly regulated, you may not have an internal auditor, but maybe you hired a company to play your internal auditor who helps you prepare for audits. Who's your external auditor? Do you have one? Do you have many? Get to know them. Go, uh, go meet them. They are not like, they are definitely not going to be employees of the company, but who's been doing your audits in the past? Do you have Sarbanes-Oxley um, audits, which means you're um, a U.S. publicly traded company. Um, do you have a SOC 2 auditor? Do you have an ISO auditor? And we can go down a whole list. Um, who is your project manager or your program manager for implementing controls of your compliance program? So if you're doing ISO, SOC 2, SOCs, IT SOCs, who is the PM of all the controls that need to be implemented. If there's no answer, that PM is you and things are failing already because somebody needs to have a list of the controls that need to be implemented, updated, managed, matured, and working towards getting those completed 
in prep for an audit? And what does the project plan look like? Get your arm around the compliance program. Those are the big areas that I wanted to cover. The next pieces here is something that I put on the slide deck a while ago, and I always thought it was interesting. Hey, where should the CISO live in the org chart? This really doesn't play into my first 100 days. It just is sometimes a conversation I bring up, and I have it on these slides here, so I'm going to mention them really briefly. Um, chief Security Officer often re, uh, reports to the CIO or the Chief Product Officer or the CTO or uh, newer roles like the Chief Digital Officer. Um, this is most commonly, I'd say almost uh, every time I've had a role as, uh, or as a permanent or a contract role has always reported into this area. And it's interesting, these are notes that I gathered, not notes that I created. Um, but this is the most highly ineffective role because it makes the, C the chief security officer or chief information security officer just know in this slide here. Uh, when I created this slide, um, I was working as a role that was the chief security officer, not the chief information security officer. Tr in truth, they were the exact same role, just some company decided to not have the I in the title. Um, reporting to one of the technical leaders is the most ineffective use because security becomes truly a technical issue or a product issue or an infrastructure issue and it commonly forgets like a lot of parts of the business. Next slide I had here um, is uh, if, the, if your chief information security officer reports to your CFO it's a little bit better than being technical um, but then your, your CFO thinks of it as you know security is kind of a an insurance uh, for the company. Um, I have always enjoyed working with and partnering with the CFOs of the companies I've worked with, but I've also found that they are, um, just in my experience, um, not very experienced from a technical and a security perspective. So sometimes, so our conversations very common are apples and oranges. And um, I find that, I, I, I have found that challenging, or I found it less challenging reporting to the technical folks. Um, because we can we can have those technical conversations and then I can show them how the role is actually wider. The CFO, I find it really tough because a lot of the CISO role is very technical. Um, even though there's a lot of business to it, there's a lot of technical with it as well. I found good partnership with CFO, but I'm not sure. I've never reported to the CFO um, and uh, there can be concern there. One other thing here, it doesn't really focus on the trust of the customer because that's outside of the focus of the finance department. Um, Chief Security Officer reporting to general counsel or legal. Um, you know, I've had really great relationships with my legal um, team, and um, I've never actually reported to legal, but um, I've always partnered with legal very closely on just about everything. Um, and my general counsel becomes, you know, the a very close partner of mine. I like to say my best friend in the company. Um, your general counsel, your legal should become your best friend as well in the in the company. So I, I've never reported here, but I I could actually see this could be a good partnership here. Just Keep in mind that, um, you know, reporting to legals, things start to kind of lean more compliance first. Um, last slide here is security um, reporting to the CEO, right? To me, the most effective, most efficient, most strategic. Tough thing is CEOs, like any, any other manager, they're just a manager. Um, they have a lot of people reporting to them. They may find it difficult to have another person reporting to them. Um, uh, but reporting to the CEO, you know, will get you that seat at the weekly um, table, um, meeting with the other leaders of the business, and you know it takes your small C in your CISO title and makes it a big C. Um, you're likely gonna be able to be more influential from uh, financial decisions of the company, corporate um, uh, decisions in the company, major business in initiatives because the, C the CEO is going to be talking to you on a more regular basis versus you trying to get some time. You'll, you'll truly be that strategic partner 
Usually, um, I, I'd say the CISO reporting to the CEO is, is less frequent um, in many cases. Um, sometimes you have to earn your right to be there versus be appointed. Anyways, that's the end of my slides for today, folks. We did it. It's a lot of information. Every single one of these weeks, it's a ton of information. That was Death by Slides for the week. One last sip of coffee before we get into our final section. And this is our What You're Listening To section, which every week I talk for a few minutes about music. It has nothing to do with cybersecurity. Uh, but you can probably see around me, I'm a big old music nerd, and I uh, can't get through any conversation without talking about music. Um, so what have I been listening to as of late? Um, you may know I actually have a music live stream on Twitch, uh, and it has been offline. It's been on a, a hiatus for six months, so I've been getting my music live stream up and running after this hiatus. So what I've been listening to is... Uh, a list of 800 songs that I perform in my music live stream. Yes, it's a music live stream that I actually perform music in. Um, so I'm trying to remember how to play the songs. I, I perform songs on the drums, guitar, I sing. And I learned this week that I definitely forgot how to play the drums. Definitely forgot how to set up the drums and how to play the drums. It's been six months. Um, but you can follow that channel on Twitch. It is Music by SV, my initials, Music by SV. Uh, I've got a YouTube page and um, under, that, uh, under that name and on every social network you can imagine under the name Music by SV. Uh, what else have I been listening to? I have been listening to the band G-Love and Special Sauce. You heard of them? Uh, favorite songs of mine from them. The Things That I Used to Do, Baby's Got Sauce, and Sugar Sweet Mama. I love their song names. Um, why am I listening to G-Love? G-Love's been around since the mid-90s. Kind of this blues meets like funky hip-hop. Easiest way to describe it. Um, Boston-based band. Um, gonna go see them live in concert uh, the top of February. So getting myself reacquainted with music that I kind of fell in love with in like 1996, 1997. They're still making making albums. I don't. I've listened to some of their newer stuff, but uh, their older stuff from like 95, 96, 97. Um, this is stuff I like. The the um, main person in the group, G Love, um, was a big influence on the uh, the artist Jack Johnson. I'm sure everybody knows who Jack Johnson is. Um, G Love pretty much um, launched Jack Johnson's career, and then Jack just like leapfrogged over G Love. Jack Johnson now selling out uh, stadiums, and G Love's playing bars. Um, so I'm gonna go see G Love in concert, and then listen to some of the, some of his music lately. I remember, uh, I think it was 1996 or 97. I was selling car stereos at a Circuit City, and some dude came into the uh, the car stereo department kind of like, like disheveled a little bit and um was looking to buy a, a car stereo and um he came and left and then someone said you know who that was I was like, no, who was that he's like oh it was the bass player of g love and special sauce i was like no way i was just helping someone from special sauce anyways that's what i'm listening to well folks that's a wrap thank you for listening um i am sean valley the creator of this show and the music here on cybersecurity growth you can find more about 
me at cybersecuritygrowth.com and cybersecuritygrowth.com slash blog where I post about all the things. You can find me on all of the socials under at Sean Valley or at cybersecuritygrowth. If you like the show, please tell your friends. If you hate it, please tell your adversaries. Uh, like and subscribe and leave five stars uh, and a review like this. Great show. I learned something new to help me in my cybersecurity career. Uh, the five stars and the reviews will help uh, the show get known. Uh, so I appreciate you helping me uh, get this thing going. Um, so what what did we uh, cover today? Today we covered, uh, the title of the show is So You Want to Be a CISO. So we covered uh, what I considered my steps of building a security org strategy. Um, what I've built over the last six to seven years, kind of walked through my strategy, my 100-day plan as a CISO, and then a deep dive of areas that I focus on as I get my programs up and running. Uh, if you took some notes, great. If you found something of value, great. Please let me know either in chat or later on down the road. I was happy to share my notes of this program uh, for the new follow that just came in. Thank you for that follow, Zach. Uh, so plans for next week. Um, I'm not sure what next week will hold. I'm finishing up a presentation on two different things. Uh, security risk management. I've been working on a presentation for risk management for a while now. And it's, I think it's almost close enough that we can present it. So that's a possibility. Um, I've also been working on another presentation on zero trust. And so um, that one's kind of at the same point. So I might finish one of those this week. And that'll be our topic next week. So stay tuned. Next week we will likely talk about security risk management or zero trust. That's likely what the case will be. Well, here, Cybersecurity Growth is here live on Twitch weekly, Fridays, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 7.30 a.m. Specific Standard Time, and 3.30 p.m. GMT. And then in your pod feeds a few days later, um, uh, it is also, I published a show on YouTube. Uh, I have verified that the show is now showing up on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Pocket Casts and other places. So you get the audio there and uh, you can get a truncated video at YouTube, also under the name Cybersecurity Growth on YouTube. I think that's everything for now. I hope everybody has a great Friday, a great weekend, and we will see you all next week. Bye for now, everybody.